Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show. Hello and welcome to Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show, the one-stop shop for all things moon-related. My name is Andy, the self-appointed moon expert, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, Rick. We're recording this on a Saturday morning on the 2nd of October, and we're going to cover, as usual, some moon news, some very local moon news, foreign moon news, a couple of Prime Minister's questions, and then we'll delve into some moonopoly. Rick, how are you doing? I'm all right, Andy. Not too bad. I've been uh, siphoning petrol out of people's cars. <laughs> yes, uh, the fuel crisis is still very much in effect. Keep getting the headlines of, oh, we're sending in the army to deliver fuel. I haven't had any problems getting fuel personally, but I've only had to do it the once. Me neither, because my top tip is that when it started, I went out and filled up 20 jerry cans. And everyone was booing me. I don't understand why, because it was just in- inherently sensible. Because the guy before me, he was filling up 20, and it's like all these other idiots filling up jerry cans. So I'm thinking, well, you know what? I need to fill up my jerry cans. So I uh, can't believe all these other people. But, you know, I took precautions, and uh, uh, other people didn't. Just just for the record, you are being sarcastic, right? I, I am, yes. Oh, good. <laughs> I, thankfully, I walked to work. Uh, and I don't really need my car, uh, apart from to do a, like a two-mile journey every week, which is to go to a community choir. So worst is I could possibly miss it if I did run out of petrol. Or walk, because it's only two miles. Well, it depends how much you really wanted to go to choir. Yeah, that's it. Not on Tuesday when it was just raining, got absolutely soaked. So it was like, right, <laughs> I wouldn't do a four-mile uh, journey. So other than hoarding fuel, what else have you been up to over the last two months or so? Because it's been a while since we've recorded uh, an episode. I Over two months, that's... I've not been paid until yesterday. So I've got two months' worth of uh, salary, so that's quite nice. And let's have a look at my calendar. I had my car repaired because the exhaust fell off and I did... Improvisational comedy workshop for the HR department. Uh, h- how did that go? Uh, I think it went all right, actually. Yeah, I'm always a bit dubious about doing mandatory fun at corporate days. Yeah. So I did say, look, you know, this isn't mandatory fun and so on. This is creativity and how to think. Because, as you know, Andy, I do take my improv unduly seriously. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I know not a lot of theory behind it, so uh, it, w- it was good, actually. So uh, I think it did work well, but I've, hopefully I'll get feedback in the next week or so. Everyone seemed to be laughing by the end of it, so that's generally a good rough rule. Yeah, it is. In, in case you're new to the podcast and have yet to catch up on some of the episodes, Rick and I used to be in an improv troupe together. And when I said to people, oh yeah, I'm going to improv practice, they'd be like, oh, so you do script the jokes ahead of time. It's not all made up on the spot. It's like, no, 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 it is made up on the spot, but you need to learn how to craft the jokes, how to construct a scene, how to set things up, how to hand things over to people. And the thing that I would compare it to is um, exam technique. So when you're revising for an exam, obviously you learn the syllabus, but you don't know what's going to come up on the exam, but you can learn how to best answer the questions in order to get the most marks, how to read the questions, how to reverse engineer some kind of situations, and from that you could get the best answers. That's kind of like what improv practice is. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you've just had a a brief glimpse into the green room of comedians, because backstage at comedy shows, when comedians start talking about comedy, they get very serious (laughs) and and theoretical, because it's their stock in trade and so on. So, uh, yeah... is quite funny when you start sort of getting behind the curtain of comedy and having chats to comedians about how to do comedy. It's like, it's the least funny thing. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so what have you been up to this month? I have been on holiday. I went to Serbia recently. That was a lot of fun. I was meant to meet uh, some old co-workers that I used to work with in Bulgaria, but the UK is not allowed to go into Bulgaria. Bulgaria is on the green list for the UK, so I can go there, but for Bulgaria, the UK is on the red list, so they won't let me in. We were trying to find countries nearby that everyone could go to because there were visa issues, and then we settled on Serbia. So I was there for a week. I spent a couple of days in the capital exploring that and then went out to the mountains to do some hiking. And it was very nice to be away from screens for a bit and to just explore somewhere different and be out in the sunshine because I don't know if you felt this, but there hasn't been much of a summer this year. It's just been grey and not very many sunny days, whereas every day in Serbia and Belgrade was just gorgeous, gorgeous sunshine. So Yes and no. So yeah, my wife's a flower farmer, so she's very in tune with the weather. So I would say, yeah, early summer though, there was a heat wave, which screwed up the flowers, and then there was no sun. So it was just, what you want is a steady summer for all the flowers to grow. And so I'm not surprised you forgot the summer, but it was like the worst, (laughs) really the worst thing you wanted for flower growth. All the heat of the summer was pushed into two weeks, and then that that was it. So yeah, the reason I'm being uh, sort of couching it is because in case my wife listens and and has me agreeing that there was no summer days (laughs) uh, when when she's been shouting bloody sun for a week or two. Or they're bloody clouds. Yeah, now it's bloody clouds, bloody rain, yeah. So these flowers, they're not they're not hardy. You can see why people grow them in like warehouses with artificially controlled climate change destroying Ironically destroying everything outside of the warehouse except for the flowers. Yeah, I mean, they cause climate change to destroy open-air flower growers, thus pushing more more of the market in their direction. Needlessly vindictive. Uh, it's the capitalist system, Andy. Speaking of capitalist endeavours, how's the moon exploration going? Because that's all industrialising now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Yes, it is. Should we talk about that with some moon news? Let's. And here's one for the betting book, Rick. You were right. The Artemis moon mission has been pushed back to 2025. Hey. So you won that. I was wide-eyed and naive saying like, no, they'll make it. They'll make it in 2024. Although a little hesitant that they were going to blow through some safety things. But thankfully they haven't because they've realised the spacesuits are not ready. The launches aren't ready. So they've pushed back to 2025. That's great. Sorry, the, the pause is due to me trying to find the betting book. <laughs> oh, found it. Rick doesn't think the US will launch for the moon in 2024. Correct. Ah, so you win that one. Marvellous. The new astronaut suits, the new space suits that they're trialling and testing at the moment, they, they want them to go on the moon surface and also the Martian surface as well, which is quite interesting. I, I, I think it would be better to do two separate suits, but apparently they're going to do the one. They've spent a billion dollars on developing the suit so far. That, that's a lot of money for a suit. I had a friend who has spent a thousand pounds on a suit. I said, that's a lot. A thousand? A thousand is a lot to spend on a suit. I mean, a billion is fine to spend on a spacesuit because it needs to survive all sorts of conditions. It needs to survive the radiation of the sun, the extreme temperature and lack of temperature because the temperature on the moon fluctuates between like 140 degrees in the day 
like a minus 160 degrees at night. That's all in Celsius, by the way. So it needs to survive extreme radiation, extreme heat. How did the original astronauts go to the moon? What suits did they wear? Or were they sort of, well, you're only going out in the day, you've got half an hour on the surface, get back. Because I'm guessing they didn't have as advanced suits because we can't have gone back in technology. You're correct. They will have had, it'll be an early version of this suit. I think they've just updated it so it's now digital as opposed to analogue. But also there's new materials. There's like graphene and Kevlar. They're just using newer materials that are probably lighter, that are probably more malleable or ductile or whatever other words you want to use to describe flexibility for these suits. Yeah, they don't have to survive the night. That'd be silly. Why would you send them up to the dark side of the moon? <laughs> that's that's silly, Andy. Come on, get your head in the game. They slept in the module, though, didn't they? Uh, yes. During the night. Yeah. Well, don't forget that there's meant to be like lunar gateways. So they're not just plonking people on the ship and sending it to the moon. There's meant to be lunar gateways, so it sends people up and back down from mm. lunar gateway, which is then going to be the stop to go to Mars. I just happened to be watching a YouTube video on cruise ships this morning. So it sounds as though the, uh, the lunar gateway is like the cruise ship that's docked off land and every day is a day excursion. Where are we going today? Well, the moon. Yay. That's <laughs> what you get for booking moon cruises, isn't it? Yeah, but... There's lots of different things you can see. You're going to go to the Lunar Mountains today, or then we're going to go to the, the Lunar Mare today, or we're going to go check out the Tycho Crater. More on that later. That's a good poem. <laughs> yes. So that, that's one of the reasons why the mission has been delayed, because the suits weren't ready yet. But also the rockets that would get them up there, SLS system the, uh, and the Orion capsules, they need more tests as well. And those have been pushed back because of, well, mostly because of COVID, but also because of just general politics and people not meeting deadlines and Jeffrey Bezos being like, oh, you changed the goalposts. Oh, I wanted to do the moon mission. So he's going to sue and then that'll take more time and delay things. So... Well, the mission has been delayed for a myriad of reasons, but one of the main things is the lunar suits, and I would much rather them delay the suits and them be ready than rush them and them not be ready. Yeah, I think they were rushed because Donald Trump originally said you have to go to uh, the moon by 2024. So I think he just sort of thought you could gaffer tape them together with bleach. And... Well, the this article that I got most of the information from, it is quite a left-leaning newspaper, The Independent, especially in recent years. Uh, but it does have the line, the 2024 deadline had been insisted upon by Donald Trump during his one-term presidency. That's a nice little bit of shade that they threw in there. Yeah. Did wonder if that was your note because I was like, ah, it's not from a it's not from an independent uh, paper that <laughs> reporting the facts. Uh, no, I just highlighted it in the notes because it uh, did stuck out as oh, okay, so that's where you're landing the blame. And there is some blame to be there. You can't just whip out a moon mission from thin air. This stuff takes years of planning. So you were right, Rick. We are not going to go to the moon in 2024. So. What other things in the betting books do we have? There's one for U22, isn't there? Changi 4 will last a thousand Earth days. So, small U22 update. I, sh I kid you not. Oh my goodness. What a coincidence. It's a thousand days today. Hey, well done, Changi 4. Yeah, the little U22 rover. It's on a thousand days so far. Ah, well done. So congratulations to uh, China. Yeah, yeah, they should, because this was only meant to last three months, and it lasted a thousand days. Yeah, well done to China for accidentally uh, beating a world record and having a thing that goes on and on. I don't, I don't think it's a world record yet. Is it not? 
It, it's it's a world record for the moon because before then it was Lunar Cod One, which operated for three hundred and twenty-one Earth days. But now UT Two has got a thousand days. I think the longest-lasting rover though is on Mars. Opportunity. <laughs> oh my goodness. Opportunity has been going for five thousand four hundred and ninety-eight days. Okay, bit of catching up to do. And is it still going? Oh no, no, that's that one's stopped now. That oh. that mission ended February thirteenth, twenty nineteen. So that's when it was declared the mission was over. But the last contact was June the tenth, two thousand and eighteen, and that was on that was on Mars for five and a half thousand Earth days. Brilliant. Okay, so we have got another four thousand. Ten years to wait. All right. Well, we'll come back to it. Yeah. I don't, well, we'll see if the podcast is still going then. But yeah, that was a nice little coincidence. A thousand days for you two too. Ah, oh, good. Good for you. A photo of the moon has been taken, and it's the highest resolution image of the moon ever. And this image, <laughs> it is a 1.4 billion pixel image. The area covers 200 by 175 kilometers, and the image has a resolution of five by five meters. So I think if you just got a normal size of a pixel and put that together, the image would be five by five meters of a crater on the moon, the Tycho crater, and it's a radar image. It looks incredible. It looks like those radar images of microbes that you get, and it's just so incredibly detailed. And if you don't know what the Tycho crater is, just picture a full moon. And you know you've got like the dark patches uh, for the lunar seas, the, the mare across the moon. And then you've just got that one single crater at the bottom half of it, and it just spews white over the rest of the moon. That crater is called the Tycho Crater. And for the record, those white lines coming off it are called rays. So the Tycho Crater is one of the most famous craters from the moon. It's very distinct. You look up at the moon anytime and you'll see the Tycho Crater. Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because you did a lot of research on image processing and images during your time at university, didn't you? Uh, yes, yes, I did. I, I know everything. <laughs> up, up, up to, but not including the point where it's fast Fourier transforms, then I got confused and stopped. Yeah. Oh, God, I remember Fourier transforms and thinking, I will never use this in my life. I, I gave up at that point. It was too late because I started my dissertation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you want me to explain synthetic aperture radars? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, but I was going to ask maybe uh, a crash course on radar imaging if you know about that, but go ahead. So, well, it's kind of the same sort of thing. So if you think about, well, imaging first, if you if you look at anything, uh, that's probably photons come bouncing off uh, an ambient light source. So today it's a very cloudy day. So photons will bounce off a tree that I can see in front of me and hit my eyes. I can see a certain resolution because that's what my eyes can focus on through my glasses. Now, if I wanted more detail about that tree, if I had, say, one camera pointing at the tree, if I wanted more detail about the tree, I could point multiple cameras on it and then aggregate what's going on over the cameras. So if you imagine you had three cameras in a row, you could have a bit more detail about what's going on at a, a certain point. At a different angle? Oh uh, yeah, they're at different angles. Okay. Obviously buying a camera is expensive, so what you can do is if you've got a, let's say you put a camera on a rail that's sort of curved, ideally curved around the, the object. Do you mean like a, like a dolly track, like they put cameras on when filming things? Yeah, like for, if you imagine the Matrix when, yeah, try and rotate around the actors. 
Yeah. Yeah, steady cam type thing. So yeah, if you took one camera and moved it sort of quick enough, you could you could take lots of photos with a single camera, so that's a bit cheaper. So the logic is you've got one camera that will give you a certain aperture, so that's how big it is. But if you make the camera bigger, it looks like bigger aperture, so it's a synthetic aperture. Probably a better example is panoramic uh, photos, if you've ever taken them on your mobile phone. Yeah. Right, your mobile phone has a certain aperture, uh, but if you slowly pan it across whatever lovely view of the, the hillsides you're looking at or the sea or whatever, it kind of comes across when they stitch it together as, oh, you've, you've got a panoramic camera. Whereas, in fact, no, you've got a, a normal camera you've just moved over the top. <laughs> um, so, a, so you've got a synthetic aperture. So it's that logic. So I don't know whether they've either used lots of radar stations around the world to take a picture of this, or they themselves... Uh, oh, is it? Sorry. Green Bank uh, Telescope. That's what I'm looking up, the Green Bank Telescope. I think it's just one, because often you have, like, an array of telescopes. They all take separate photos, and then you merge them all together. Like the VLT, the Very Large Telescope, in the Atacama Desert. That's an array of telescopes. Whereas Green Bank, I think, is just a single... Yeah, is the world's premier single-dish radio telescope operating at millimeter and meter wavelengths so green bank is just a single telescope okay so they've probably used the they haven't stuck it on a trolley uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but they probably used uh, the rotation of the earth and or the rotation of the moon in some sort of clever way to give the uh, that sort of increased aperture okay and rotation of the moon might be useful because then you get different angles and you can work out what's going on. So, uh, hang on a minute. If something's rotating, wouldn't it make it blurry? I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little lost here. I've got this radar telescope pointing up at the moon, and you're saying, oh, the Earth is rotating and the moon is moving. D- are we not meant to, like, track it so we don't get, like, a smear of an image? Yeah, so if you had old-school photographic film and you put it in your camera and then you point it up, let's say, at the night sky, not, well, yeah, maybe the moon or the stars or whatever, you'll get a blurry image because all the images over the night just sort of merge together on a single bit of film because they they all uh, superimpose. That's how you get the funky pictures at night of the star rotation and stuff. But imagine, instead of letting all the images superimpose onto one another, into a blurry mess. You take one photo, which is at the speed of light because it's radar, you say, right, bank that, put that in memory, I'll now take another one, I'll now take another one. Each one's completely separate, and then you do digital signal processing on them. Which is just lining them all up. Which is lining them all up, but then compensating for the difference in position. So just going back to what radar imaging is, you're just basically firing up a radio wave, getting a bit of information which is bounced back and then that's put in the computer. And depending on how long it took one radio wave to get to the surface compared to another radio wave, you can say, oh, that one got back quicker, therefore that is a higher bit of the moon. Whereas if it took longer, therefore it's a lower bit of the moon. And that's how you're able to map out the surface. That's what radar imaging is in a very overview sense, right? Uh, Yes. Cool. Just wanted to make sure that we kind of mentioned that before going into the (laughs) very technical things about what synthetic aperture radar is, which in this case, you're relying on rotation to get the finer details. 
Yeah, so if you've ever looked at an object like a quartz crystal or something that's a bit weird in shape and you look at it at one angle, you naturally sort of rotate it a bit so you can see all the angles and it's like, ah, right, I now get a better idea of what that shape actually is. If I just look at it at a single angle, it's like, well, I don't know if that's a high bit or a low bit or how big that bit is compared to another bit. You, you will naturally just try and rotate it a bit and go, oh, okay, right, I, I, I get more information about all the proportions of different bits. So that's kind of what's happening with the moon because it's naturally rotating and the, then the Earth's naturally rotating as well. And if you do clever maths, you can sort of simulate that. So why is this significant with radar imaging or why are we looking at the moon that we already know about? Well, as you mentioned, with overlaying stuff and having to compensate for digital uh, like imaging of being like, okay, so we'll make sure this bit is highlighted, this bit is duplicated, so we don't need to include that. All this takes computing power which we have abundance of now, but 10 years ago, quantum computing was still in its very early stages, whereas now we're rapidly approaching some computing limits and in, in terms of the uh, processing power. So it's just getting more and more powerful, which makes processing these images a lot quicker. Therefore, these images can now be generated in a matter of hours or days, whereas 10 years ago, it would have taken weeks, maybe months to just get a single image. So that's why this is being researched and done now because it's far more feasible than it, than it used to be. So if we're able to map the surface of the moon by radar, then we can point this at other planets and using some very clever maths to compensate for the rotation of the Earth, rotation of the planets, we can map the surface of distant planets, moons, asteroids, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, just on the uh, computing power thing. So yeah, it's not, I knew that I screwed yeah, that yeah. up. <laughs> That's all right. No, no, it's not quantum computing as such, although the quantum computing is coming along. One of the big things is cloud computing. That's where... it. That's the, probably the one you meant. Basically, if everyone gets up, uh, does their nine to five work day and goes, um, during the five to nine period, when the computers aren't being used, they can kind of be sold to other processing uh, functions. So uh, you can now just go and buy uh, what's called spot rate computing, where it's just, well, I've got all these calculations to solve sometime within the next three months. Go and solve them when the compute price is less than one pence per hour or something. So you just give them a spot price, and then when the demand for computing is low, it's just, all right, okay, well, we'll run all these. And you don't have to invest in, like, supercomputers, as opposed to back in my day-ish, uh, <laughs> or at least a bit before my day, when if you wanted supercomputing power, you kind of, your university had to buy it. Yeah, but that's one of the reasons why we can create these very high-resolution images of the moon now, because... I remember seeing this and thinking, radar imaging, this has been around for decades, for hundreds of years maybe. Why are they only doing this now and then reading the article? Oh, it's because of computing power that's needed. So that's why it's only just become feasible recently. And I'll post an image in the show notes because it is quite incredible just to see this crater up close because you can see what's called the central peak in the centre of it, which indicates that it is a complex crater, not a simple crater. A simple crater is just like a nice bowl, uh, whereas a complex crater like this with a central peak means that there was so the impact was big enough to warrant a reaction from the subsurface of the moon. So you know like when you throw stone in the water, you get that little bloop that comes up from it. Imagine that, but with lava and rocks, and that's what that's kind of doing. You've put so much force into the moon that to compensate, it just kind of pushes back like Newton's laws, and you get a central peak from it. 
Um, yeah, yeah, just also, uh, listeners, and Andy well knows that radar isn't hundreds of years old. It was invented in World War II. He was exaggerating for comic effect. Well, it's nearly 100 years old, 80, so rounding up. Yeah. <laughs> cool. But just in case you get go, oh, no, radar was famously invented. Yeah. It's, it's old technology, damn it. Of, yeah, yeah, that's it. But yes, the point being made. <laughs> it's older than Bluetooth, which is still <laughs> probably on its way out. Do you want to pair your phone with the moon? <laughs> with Apollo 1169. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so that's uh, some exciting news about how to image the surface of the moon. So far, the highest resolution images have been taken by satellite, but the fact that we're able to do it from the Earth's surface is quite an incredible development, and I look forward to seeing some more of these images as they're released over the next few months. So, after the success in China of uh, getting a thousand days with Changi 2, or 1, can't remember. Changi 4 with U2 2. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it sounds like football result. <laughs> um, after the fantastic success of China uh, with Changi 4, uh, is, has everything in China been successful? Uh, in terms of the moon? Yeah, everything moon related. Well, if you think back to one of our first podcasts, we had some moon cake to celebrate the moon festival in China and they do this every year in, in Southeast Asia as well there's like moon festivals and to celebrate this China got a <laughs> a massive inflatable moon but unfortunately they didn't tie the moon down well enough and so the moon escaped <laughs> when, when a big gust of wind came along and blew the poorly tied down moon down the street <laughs> Well, that sounds great, but if you don't have a video of it, then it didn't happen. Ah, there is a video. That's how everybody knows, because it's hardly like China's going to report this to the world. So, thankfully, <laughs> some footage leaked of these two <laughs> suited men chasing a massive moon down the street, and these cars with very confused-looking drivers just kind of slowly getting out of the way of this colossal moon, thinking it's, it must be from, like, a prank show or some sick Indiana Jones cosplay gone wrong. <laughs> but no, it's uh, a giant moon bumbling down the street. But this has happened before as well. This happened in 2016, where another inflatable model moon was blown down the streets. Uh, again, <laughs> in, again in China, that was partly due to a typhoon. So that one's kind of allowed because, you know, typhoon is extreme weather. Whereas this was just a bit of wind that knocked the moon down the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the best best bit about the uh, the video is the comments underneath. Oh, have you, oh, I haven't looked at the comments. What highlights have you got? Where's Tiananmen, tank, <laughs> Tiananmen Square Tank Man where you need him <laughs> most? <laughs> oh. So I actually, I got a call from Radio 1, actually, to come on and talk about this. But the problem was I was in Serbia at the time. And by the time I got back, the story had kind of fizzled out and they'd moved on, which is fair enough. But what they wanted to do was me come on and talk a bit about the physics about it. And they, they were like, what would happen if the moon disappeared? If the moon disappeared, then there'd be no tides and seasons would be screwed up. Gulf Stream would be effective. It would bring on rapid climate change and a new ice age because... Well, there's no moon to control the tides and the tides control the pressure, which control the weather. And this is all a very, very big, broad, hand wavy thing. But what I think is more interesting is what would happen if you brought the moon to the Earth and just placed it on the surface? 
what would happen to that? Doing some Googling and looking for some answers, the top answer was, what would happen if you put the moon on the Earth's surface? It would break stuff. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's true. It would. So you have this object that is 1% the mass of the Earth. Now, that doesn't sound massive, but considering that is 7 times 10 to the power of 22, so that's 7 followed by 22 zeros, kilograms, that's quite heavy. You have this colossal bit of rock that is 2% uh, of the Earth's volume, 1% of the Earth's mass, just placed on the surface. It's a colossal rock. It would block radio signals. It weighs a hell of a lot. And what would happen is it would start to immediately crack whatever geological plate it was on, and it would start to sink. So the moon's own uh, sphere would start to crack under the gravitational pull of the Earth, so it starts to flatten and crack and shatter, and it would start to sink into the Earth as it did. So basically, you have two spheres, like a, a huge fat snowman with a tiny head. The moon would sink into the Earth. It would crack a little bit as it did. Molten tidal waves would spew out of this crack that is caused on the Earth, and it would basically return to the big sphere from which it came. The moon and the Earth would smoosh into each other and turn into a bigger sphere. And all of the volcanoes around the Earth would probably erupt from this huge colossal disturbance. It's it's not a good thing. No. <laughs> it would destroy the Earth. Yeah, well, I won't put the moon on the Earth then. No, no, don't do that. It's going to do that later on, but I'll, uh, I'll watch telly instead. I hear Squid Game's meant to be quite good. Yeah, I heard of that. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I did. It genuinely went out for a curry the other night of our, our team dinner, and someone mentioned Squid Games. And I was like, oh, what, well, what's that? And they said, oh, it's like the Hunger Games. It's like, what, what? And But they can only eat squid, or what? <laughs> sort of battle battle royale quiz show running man type okay because i hated hunger games because i was just watching like this is ripping off battle royale and uh but i quite like battle royale so i might give squid game a go so on to foreign moon news where we talk about moons that don't belong to the earth Often we'll be talking about some missions to other moons or Martian moons, Jovian moons or Saturnian moons. Rarely do we get to talk about moons of the outer solar system. But recently, N3 on the Discord pointed out that there's going to be a talk in America from the American Astronomical Society. And it's the DPS meeting, the Division for Planetary Science, their 53rd annual meeting that's due to start this week, the 3rd of October. And uh, linked a load of papers that are going to be discussed. Frustratingly, some of the more juicier ones were withdrawn, uh, so I won't talk about those. Uh, I'll just tease them because they had some pretty interesting findings. But some of the other things that were discussed, they've done a detailed orbital analysis of Dysonomia. If that name sounds familiar, Dysonomia is the moon of a distant planet called Eris currently one of the furthest orbiting moons out there. When I say furthest orbiting moons, as in Eris is the planet furthest away from the sun at the moment that has a moon that we've discovered. There are others that will overtake it in many years, but currently I'm pretty sure it's Eris that has the most distantly orbiting moon of Dysonomia. And Dysonomia, its existence helped downgrade Pluto to a planet. Minor. Oh, yes. Good correction. Um, 
dwarf planet and it helped it downgrade it to dwarf planet status. Eris, Pluto, both dwarf planets. Uh, thank you for that correction. So they've done something called a non-Keplerian analysis of the orbit. So first of all, what is Keplerian analysis? That's, <laughs> That's just what I was thinking as well. Uh, although, to be fair, I think just during my day-to-day -day life when I you know, get by and compare serials, I'm pretty sure I'm doing non-Keplerian analysis. <laughs> but I wait with bated breath to see if my serial analysis of what I eat in the morning is Keplerian or not. <laughs> so Keplerian physics it's it's like classical physics like you know you have like Newton's laws of gravity and those are like quite nice and hand wavy as in like yeah we've done some calculations and those are pretty accurate so Keplerian orbital analysis is like okay so you have this planet and you got this moon this far away calculate its orbital distance or its orbital period and then from that you can figure out back of the envelope maths that's what Keplerian is as in just like some nice easy equations that you'll learn at A level whereas non-Keplerian takes it a step further than that so it takes into all sorts of gravitational anomalies uh, like astrodynamics is just this whole swamp of very complicated maths wikipedia has quite a nice description of it or someone posted on one of the forums that kepler's laws aren't really laws in terms of physical laws but are instead trends that kepler noticed and calculated using astronomical observations of planets kepler's laws are very accurate for planetary orbits since he used very accurate planetary observations was non-keplerian orbits i think take into account systems so the gravitational effects of the stars or the bigger bodies. So one of the things from this paper that I did quite like is to apply non-Keplerian analysis, we have previously developed and validated an N-quadrupole integrator called SPINI. So it takes into account spin plus N body. So the N and the Y from the body to create SPINI, which can include all the dominant non-Keplerian effects relevant to observe this orbit. So they've taken the classical orbit and gone, okay, let's apply more maths to it and we can come up with more detailed analysis. And from this detailed analysis, they can then look at the possibility of does Eris, the dwarf planet, have another moon? Because you can look at the maths of dysnomia going around Eris and then, okay, does this match just the body of the planet? Or, thanks to this complicated analysis that we've done, could there be a smaller moon that's affecting dysnomia and affecting Eris, which is something that Keplerian techniques wouldn't have picked up, whereas non-Keplerian techniques allow that deeper dive into the maths and looking at the orbits. That's kind of like how they calculated um, Neptune was there, I believe. Like someone was looking at the orbits of the planets and they went, hmm, this doesn't quite work. There's something else out there that's pulling these planets a little bit further out than they should be. I wonder if there's another planet there and they calculated where they thought Neptune would be and lo and behold, that's where Neptune was. That's fantastic. As an analogy, it's like if someone said, I'm going to take out all my children for an individual day out uh, over the next few days. They they've got two kids, take out Bob and Fred, and then they have another day off, uh, but you, you don't know where they've gone. Okay, so you've got another child somewhere, some, sort of, some other secret child. Is it like that? 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can do your non-Kaplorian analysis and say, aha. I suppose if in this analogy you're finding out about the second child from the incoherent babbling of the first child who's like a toddler and can't tell the story properly and you're just pulling out these little nuggets of information from them and you're like, okay, based on what they've said, I think there's a second child here. Then yes, I guess this analogy works. <laughs> Um, so some of the other papers that have been presented were the discovery of a new asteroid moon around the near-Earth asteroid 2020 BX12. So they have discovered a new tiny asteroid moon. And the more and more of these are getting discovered, I swear, that like more and more, they're called binaries, but I just like calling them asteroid moons because that's what they are. They're small moons of asteroids. Uh, and again, through high-resolution radar images, they have found tiny little near-Earth asteroid and apparently it takes it takes between 45 to 16 hours to orbit the asteroid and it's only oh my goodness the the maximum separation observed for the two bodies was roughly 360 meters that's really not far apart at all no you could uh, throw a cable between them yeah and the, considering that the primary component appears spheroidal so a sphere with an estimated diameter of 160 meters so these are really tiny things well i mean that's probably why we managed to spot them because they're near earth asteroids they orbit uh, quite close the minimum earth intersection distance is less than one lunar distance but during this approach it was photographed or observed at 11 lunar distances so pretty safe distance but during this flyby they managed to discover it is got a asteroid moon which is pretty cool uh, and using my general um, theory that space is going to become full of tourists soon they're probably going to open a restaurant on each side <laughs> ha! Like, so you can see the other side it's like, you know the mo motorway service stations with a bridge between them yes yeah so it'll be like that they'll build a bridge between, <laughs> between the two asteroids oh, no no don't it's only 360 meters andy they can do it I uh, don't build a bridge because that would screw up the orbits. No, I think it would be much better because considering that the gravity between the two of them, the, these objects are tiny. So what all you'd need to do is just have like a tiny little bit of propulsion and you could easily escape the gravitational pull of one. So you could just have like tiny little rocket shuttles going between these two asteroids. A bridge would be far harder to um, to maintain because these two objects aren't tidally locked. I mean, they are a bit, but not enough to warrant building a structure this bridge would have to be made out of rubber because they'd be constantly rotating and slightly <laughs> deviating it's much safer and easier to just fire rockets between the two of them yeah facing worlds restaurants yeah or a trebuchet and then yeah. on the other side yeah even better. I do love a good trebuchet. It's this age, sorry, Age of Empires flashbacks. Yes, yeah, exactly that. Oh god, I used to just pour all my resources into building trebuchets and then I was unstoppable. But everybody discovered this tactic very quickly and then quickly built all the things that would take out trebuchets. So going from close to Earth to the outer solar system, the Kuiper Belt, and in the Kuiper Belt are Kuiper Belt objects, known as KBOs. And so you know New Horizons that beamed all those gorgeous photos back of Pluto? Uh, yes, yeah. It is still taking photos of the outer solar system, and it has been analysing some KBOs to discover potential binaries, aka do these Kuiper Belt objects have moons? And some of them do. 
So they have actually discovered some new moons. So I guess this is a new moon alert. Yay! For some Kuiper Belt object moons. Now they don't have the best names. They're like CCKBO 2011 JY31. <laughs> that's, that's one of the <laughs> objects. Um, and then another one is CCKBO 2014OS393. Those are apparently two objects separated by 150 kilometers. So not as close as the near-Earth asteroid, but still pretty close in terms of lunar distances. And yeah, they have discovered... What else is there to say? They've discovered some moons around KBOs. But I do find it incredible that we can, we're still discovering moons by objects less than a lunar distance from us and more than like a solar system from us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still getting over the fact that it's not just planets that have moons. I'm a moon traditionalist, but having having worked on the show for uh, however long, few years now, I, I will slowly come round to the fact that moons can belong to other things that aren't planets. I'm glad you're softening on your stance. Yeah, so apologies to any moons I may have offended in the process. Apart from Phobos and Deimos, they've got the portals to hell. <laughs> Still with doom. <laughs> Still with doom. That's fact. I'm gonna gonna talk a little bit more about asteroid moons, uh, and these aren't in the show notes, but someone in the discourse. I haven't installed Discord on my new computer. That's why I've been very quiet <laughs> on Discord. So. Dry Gorich, or brackets the hockeyist. Uh, the hockeyist is a lot easier to say. They sent something about. <laughs> <laughs> it's called like the dog bone asteroid because it looks like imagine a bit of play-doh that you've pulled out and you've got the bulbous parts in your hands and then it gets thinner in the middle but it does look like a dog bone from a um from a distance this dog bone asteroid has two tiny moons orbiting it and uh recently they took some nicer images of it well i say recently they were observed between 2017 and 2019 but the photos have just been processed and released recently. I'm going to send you... Uh, how is best to send this to you? Skype? So you've got the image of the dogbone asteroid and its two moons. Which, by the way, it's called Cleopatra. And the moons are called Alex Helios and Cleo Selene. That is a nice amalgamation of names for objects. As in, like, names related to Cleopatra... Names related to Greek gods. So I, I like this portmanteau of names. I think that's, that's quite cool. Uh, so butchered the date slightly uh, upon rereading this. This system was discovered in 2008. Observed at time and time again because it's quite close to Earth. It's in the asteroid belt, so it's quite easy to observe. And they've managed to get these better resolution images of... Cleopatra, the asteroid, and its two moons, Alex Helios and Cleo Selene. And they think it's a rubble pile asteroid, which means it's quite low density. It's full of caverns and voids, very much like um, Phobos is meant to be a rubble pile. So you have this gravel that's surrounded by a crust. And I think it's quite obvious that the moons are affecting the shape of this object. Like, there is clearly some gravitational presence there that's forcing this asteroid into the sh into the dog bone shape that it is. Is there a gif of it? A gif of Cleopatra? I don't think there will be because oh. I think they will have been taken at separate times. Let me have a look and see what I can find. When I say taken at separate times, I mean the images were taken so far apart that it is rotated too much that it would just look quite jagged and it, it wouldn't flow quite nicely. Now I'm just getting gifts of Katy Perry as Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah, so the only gifts that exist are of the body of the asteroid itself. I think the moons are too faint to capture 
emotion. You have to really focus, process the image in order to see those asteroids. So unfortunately, there isn't a GIF of the moons for these. Oh, okay. It looks like GIF material. Oh, yeah, totally. But you'd have to, unfortunately, edit the photos too much that it wouldn't be a true representation of what it looks like. So, yeah, although these images were taken ages ago, it's nice to see them released, and it's always nice to see funky space objects. And also, it's nice to see them talked about in a sensible way and not a, oh, cigar-shaped alien spaceship is heading to Earth. I was like, no, it's not. It's just an <laughs> asteroid. So I was looking at some of the old comments on one of the videos and some are very mean, but that's mostly on the Phobos monolith one because I decided to slag off Alex Jones in it, rightfully so, because he didn't bother to do his research and just pulled out whatever Im images he could on what was meant to be the Phobos monolith, but is actually the Mars monolith and blah, 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 blah. You can just watch the video. It's surprising Alex Jones got something wrong. Oh, that's amazing. Must have been the first time that's ever happened. Oh, apart from all the other times. <laughs> What's uh, surprising is how quick people uh, are to defend him. That's yeah. what's alarming. But anyway, I digress. Looking at one of the other comments, the nicer comments, someone commented on one of the previous podcast episodes with just Moonopoly. And that got me thinking, if we were to create a Monopoly board with moons, what moons would occupy which squares? And Monopoly is a value-based game, right? So you have the cheaper streets, like in the British version, Old Kent Road, Whitechapel Road, and then you've got the posh ones, Park Lane, Mayfair, Oxford Street, Bond Street. So those are all like the value-based ones. And then you've got everything in between, as well as a few other stock and functional squares like Electrical Company, Jail, Chance, The Stations, all that kind of stuff. So made me think, what moons would we assign to which squares? And how do you assign value to those moons? Do we do it on perceived value? Do we do it on value to science? Do we do it on value in terms of what resources they have? How do you think we should assign value to these moons? Well, it's how much would it cost to build a house on them? If I wanted to build and buy a house, what's the quality of the house? Oh, and then a hotel. So obviously a hotel in Mayfair is, is much more valuable than anywhere else. Um, yes. Although they're really expensive to buy to build hotels in Mayfair. Whereas if you build them on the likes of Vine Street and you have a hotel on Vine Street, it's cheap to develop. It's like a hundred quid a house. And once you have a hotel there, it's something like £1,500. So it's, it's significant. Like in terms of the investment to punishment when someone lands on it, it's quite, quite high compared to Mayfair, whereas you have to fork out a lot in order to get a lot back. Yeah, um, regular listeners will know I s sort of look at board games and board game theory occasionally and there is a whole theory of monopoly. Sorry, you don't build hotels on Mayfair, it's not optimal. It's the one, whatever, the, I think it's the orange ones that are uh, about seven spaces out of jail. Jail is where most people will end up at some point, even though you start at go actually jail with the go back to jail and stuff that's kind of the, the most landed on square either jail or just visiting so that means because seven is the most likely to be rolled whatever is about seven after jail those are the most efficient houses to build up so six seven and eight is perfect for the oranges yeah, uh, yeah, it's the orange ones. So Bow Street, Marlborough Street and Vine Street in the uh, British version. And yeah, so someone's done all the sort of ratios of likelihood to land on and how much it costs to build and so on. So yeah, it's not a case of build a hotel on Mayfair and your quid's in. There's a slight bit of optimization, but not much because it's, it's still a rubbish game. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it, it is um, it is a frustrating game to play. Apparently, it should only take 45 minutes to play Monopoly. The reason why it takes so long is because everyone just invents their own rules and has their own house rules and creates, oh, uh, I'll give you immunity if you let me off here. So that just prolongs it forever. I remember being in a two-hour game of Monopoly with my cousins, and it got to the point where, where I was offering real money to buy a street off someone, being like, I will give you five pounds <laughs> just to give me this street so I can build some houses and we can end this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not supposed to add money into the game. If you pay fines, it just goes back to the bank. But people say, oh, all fines go into the middle and whoever lands on free parking gets the money. So like that house rule, but it just feeds money back into the game. And yeah, no one ever goes bankrupt. So it's not supposed to be played like that. But there are other things you can do that don't work. You're supposed when you don't buy a property. If you land on it, you say, "I don't want to buy it." It's supposed to go to auction. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's supposed to be sold quickly, but everyone says, oh, "I don't want to buy it," and then they just move on. So it takes bloody ages for all these properties to be sold. <laughs> yep. Yes, it does. But that's our quibbles with Monopoly. That's not all of my quibbles with Monopoly. Don't, <laughs> don't get me started on uh, player elimination and uh, unknown and bounded and unpredictable playtimes. Yeah. Okay, let's go to assigning some Housing rooms. supply problems. Now, there's another one as well. <laughs> you can just build four houses on each of your sets and never, ever, ever build a hotel. And uh, then the house supply goes and it annoys everyone else. Oh, yeah, that's what I do. That, that's yeah. my uh, dirty tactic, and that's why we don't play Monopoly anymore. Yeah. The trouble is, Monopoly is this board game that people play at Christmas once, and it's the only board game they know, so they'll only play that, and they will never advance to anything better than Monopoly, so they think it's a fantastic board game, and it's not. And the number of people that haven't finished a game of Monopoly because they get into arguments is sort of indicative of how bad the game is. Yeah, or just association, because we're quite into our board games, and then you'd be like, oh yeah, I like board games. Like, oh, like what, Monopoly? It's like, well, yeah. there's more to board games <laughs> yeah. than that and Cluedo. But it's, it's also like saying, oh, you're into films. Well, yeah, we watch, uh, you know... Transformers. Yeah, some, what's, what's a rubbish film? Transformers. Is it? Okay, yeah, we watch, watch Transformers once a year, every year. We never finish it because we get into arguments by the end. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not really into films then, are you? You know, <laughs> it's just like, what? in what way, uh, you know, do you think you're into films or can judge films if you've only watched one film, you only do it once a year because it's some sort of weird tradition and you don't uh, like it? Yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. I, was, I had another way of how we can assign moons to to streets and we could do it on colours so the two Martian moons are fairly brown and dusty so they could be the brown and dusty streets yeah and they've got portals to hell which will um, <laughs> devalue any houses on them <laughs> uh, there is Io which is a yellow moon so that could go to like Piccadilly or Coventry Street but I can't think of any other yellow moons that could work where would you assign Earth's moon on this? Would you consider it like one of the top tier luxury moons? I think property prices on our moon will be the first to go up. Uh, property prices in London uh, went up faster than anywhere else in the country because, you know, everyone wants to work in London, so that's the central mass. So if you work on that theory, which moon is closest to London? It's probably our moon. Uh, that's true. A bit of a curveball. We could always say the moon is free parking because all of our space stuff we put on the moon, <laughs> we've parked it there for free. Yeah, or it's the go-to-jail because it's the sort of ground zero of the most likely to land on. 
Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it could be actually one of the orange ones because uh, sunset it's orange, but also it's the most likely we are to land on. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. Do you want to assign it to one of those or split three areas of the moon across the orange streets? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, Monopoly, I suppose, they've only got streets, which are, what, a few hundred metres long. So we could split the moon down legitimately into things that <laughs> are almost <laughs> approximating <laughs> things a hundred metres long, yeah. North, south, far. Yeah, dark, light, and uh, intermediary polar region. Oh, I think um, Go should be Earth. Yeah, like Cape Canaveral. Yeah, and I think um, Community Chest. Oh, actually, no, Go would be either Cape Canaveral or the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Russia. Yeah. And I think Community Chest and Chance would be named after different space agencies. So um, ESA, European Space Agency, NASA, JAXA, the Japanese one, uh, the Russian one, which I think is Roscosmos Co or Ros something, and you name them after all those. What would the utilities uh, be? I was going to say, I put utilities as like the space agencies, because Community Chest and Chance are more... I am now going to go and experience a thing which will just have a random effect and there's nothing I can do about it. I'll either win a crossword competition and get 25 quid, or I'll suddenly pay a fine for 1,000. Oh, yeah. I'd have put that as, like, rules of physics, like uh, the Van Allen belt or solar winds or something. Okay. Random meteorites smashing into your ship or space debris. Okay, so we'll just call it space chance and community <laughs> chance. <laughs> space chat. <laughs> you just add the word space in front of it and say, yeah, that's... That, well, that's what it is. Like, rules of like I, physics in space. I think, I think yeah, if rules of physics is one of them. That's like chance. I think what's community chest? I think uh, community chest is... Um, politics just random yeah. procedure like okay your funding's been cut okay yeah. it's your deadline's been extended oh some maniac leader is on an ego trip and now wants you to build four rockets here's all the budget for it i think community chest would be politics chance would be space chance yeah yeah quick one do you know off the top of your head what the difference between the chance cards and the community chest cards are um i think community chest is more likely to give you money but at a lower risk and i think a chance takes money away from you but also gives you the chance to get more money so chance is a bit of a gamble whereas community chest is a bit more of a handout is that correct yeah i don't well, in terms of the mechanics of the game, because it's just like, both to me are just a random thing is now about to happen. I'll, I'll quickly Google it while you talk about something else. Uh, while you're Googling that, what would you assign to the four stations? Uh, they're like transport hubs. and So, yeah, they'd be like space stations. International Space Station, Gateway when it's built. Mir? Yeah. And uh, whether you could do like satellite systems as well, or so do GPS or something. Oh, ooh, I know what they could be. Rovers. Yeah. So you could have like U22, Lunacod, Spider Walking Robot Bot thing, <laughs> and Sakilalot or whatever it is yeah. that when, it, when the mini robots are released on the surface. So that could be quite nice. I actually think some of the, the blue ones, the Angel Islington, Euston Road, and Pentonville Road, I think those should be named after the icy moons. So yeah. I think maybe Hydra from Pluto, Titania or Miranda from Uranus, I yeah. think could be quite a good one. Um, I'm reluctant to put Triton so low down because that is a valuable resource, so I actually think that should be higher up, but it's blue and it kind of falls into the blue one quite nicely. Uh, I think the premium moons like Ganymede, Callisto, Io and Europa, Titan, oh there you go, Titan, Io, 
because those are yellowy looking moons. Titan and Io for Coventry Street and Piccadilly. And another yellow, yellowy looking moon would probably be Iepetus, which is a moon of Saturn that has like this, it looks like it's got moss covered over it because of uh, some like <laughs> weird shadowy uh, like material that's on, on the surface of it. And Iepetus is actually quite interesting because it might be two moons that smushed into each other because it's got like this huge ridge around the edge of it, which is quite cool. Yeah, there's so many moons and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to assign value to them. I'm basing this purely on colour to begin with and what I think is a luxury moon. Based on what moon knowledge you have, where would you assign some of them? So say like Titan, the moon of Saturn that has an atmosphere, where would you assign that? Ganymede and Titan, are they the first biggest and second biggest? No, Titan's quite small. Let me get up a list of moons by size. Ganymede is the biggest in the solar system though. Yeah. I'd probably put that as Mayfair then. Ganymede? Not yeah. our own moon. No, I thought that was like free parking. Okay. Go to jail. Ganymede. Oh, no, you're right. My bad. Ganymede, Titan, Callisto, Io, and then our own moon. Yeah, so I'll probably put those two first then. Ganymede and Titan. I actually think Europa is more valuable than Ganymede because Europa has uh, a better chance of life on it than Ganymede does. What's got the most minerals? Uh, oh, good question. Because that would be the one that's actually settled and would genuinely have a hotel on it and houses. Well, y you want one that's safe that's far away from Jupiter so its radiation doesn't bombard it. So I think Callisto, because not only does Callisto look nice and sparkly, it's got an ancient surface. It's more likely to have accrued minerals. It's got ice on it so you can get water there. It's far away from Jupiter so it's, it's still going to get bombarded by radiation but not too much. So I think Callisto is probably a good place to settle. Okay. I think, you know, the tax ones, the luxury tax... Yeah. Income tax. That should be like uh, space debris tax. And you've put tire degrades on a <laughs> moon, moon rocket tax. No, no. Uh, income tax would be space debris. Luxury task would be billionaire chaos. Like just some <laughs> some billionaire has decided to launch some tardigrades at the moon or some billionaire has decided to go on an ego trip to space and that interferes with your missions. So yeah, instead of, there you go, luxury twit. Yeah, I'd say uh, go is the moon and earth is jail because then you've got go to jail and you can say, well, go back to earth. Yeah, that's Which a good is one. probably going to be an insult in the future times when you and your advanced civilizations are living on Ganymede and then some local yokel says something stupid and you yeah, go back to Earth. <laughs> okay, so go is the moon. The brown streets are the moons of Mars. Community chest would be... Politics. Politics. Uh, income tax is space debris. Stations are moon rovers. Chances, space chance. <laughs> space physics, yeah. <laughs> space yeah. physics. The small blue ones are the small icy moons. Uh, jail is... Earth. Earth. Electrical company and waterworks. Those are like NASA, ESA, JAXA. What would the pink ones be? Pink moons. I think those would be like low value moons, but are still interesting. So like... Daphnis is like a shepherd moon. I think they'd be the ones that are just purely gas or something that you just can't build on anyway. But I think they're too small to like build infrastructure on. So some of those like small tiny moons like <laughs> yeah. Philofrosony or Dyer. Yeah, so some of those like small rocky moons. Those are the like the throwaway ones. But then Bow Street, Malibu Street, and Vine Street. Those ones are close to Jupiter, have some value. Like Metis is a perfect place to like build, not human infrastructure, but infrastructure so you can go and orbit the planet. 
Um, then you've got Rhea, which is a very nice looking moon of Saturn. That's just, you get a nice view of Saturn, not too far away. It makes a good place for a holiday home. So Rhea could be a good one. How about the red streets? Oh, what did we say for free parking? Good point, yeah. Free parking is space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another thing. In the rules, free parking literally does nothing. Yeah, it's just a like, space. So, yeah, space literally does nothing. Excellent. The red ones, I think those are more fancier moons. So Miranda, I think, is a good one because that's got that looks interesting. Charon, Pluto's moon. And what would be another good one? Oh, um, Calypso. Calypso is a great moon. It looks like this big funky long asteroid so calypso would be a good one for one of these red ones just because it looks interesting and then we got the yellow moons so io titan and another yellow moon is there such a thing you mentioned one earlier yellow looking yeah titan io and i think i'm gonna go with dysonomia for that one because we don't know what it looks like and the the only images we have of it are infrared so it looks a bit yellowy so dysonomia for that one and it's an important moon because it helped downgrade Pluto from planet to minor planet. And then we've talked about the luxury moons, such as the Galilean moons, Ganymede, Callisto, that kind of thing. And yeah, that's Moonopoly. I should really consider putting this into practice and making my own Monopoly board for it. Yeah, I think you can get your own custom ones, can't you now? Yeah, you can. So leave a comment if you would be interested in buying some Moonopoly from me and I can start putting some actual thought into creating the board. I'll be a damn sight quicker if you're looking for a mood board game than waiting for the one that I keep saying I'll design. We're going to carry on with our ongoing feature of And the Next Moon Is. And this time, the next moon is Dire. Is it that bad? Ah. Uh... <laughs> I remember last time we said, oh, well, we'll start taking some suggestions for this because we're in the phase of, oh, it's just a space rock. But the reason why we're doing Dyer this time is one, I've made a video about it so I can talk a little bit more about it in depth. I had to look at the next moon after this and the next moon is Carpo and there's actually a little bit more to talk about with Carpo so I'll probably continue it for that and I did put out um, a request saying like hey make a, make a suggestion about the moon you want to hear about and someone did reply asking about Niso and the reason we're not talking about Niso today is because I am just in the final stages of finishing a video about Niso where I talk a lot more about its weird or orbit and its extreme eccentricity and whatnot so Niso will be covered in a video and I think that will probably do it more justice than we can do on this podcast so to the person who suggested Niso stay tuned there's a video coming out for it quite soon but today we're going to talk about Dyer and the video I made about Dyer was in defense of Dyer because someone made an article, one of those like PopSci articles where they ranked all the moons in the solar system and they put Dyer in last place. And I was like, well, all of the other moons you put above it have nothing special about them. And why have you just put Dyer in last place? It just seemed very random. And especially considering Dyer is quite interesting because it was a moon that was lost and then recovered uh, several years later. So I think there's, I think Dyer's an interesting moon and it shouldn't have come in last place. I'm glad to hear you say that, not so much as in what you said, but the tone of voice, because when it first came out, I think you were very uh, angry. <laughs> it's like, these people know nothing of moons. Uh, well, 
it was all very subjective because they're like, oh yeah, there's a moon called Plonky or yeah. something like that. They're like, oh, well, that clearly manages to put it up into the top 25. I was like, well, no, not really, <laughs> because if you're basing it all on name, then it's all completely subjective and this list is meaningless. Yeah, I, th- I think you're a lot more animated back then and, and to the point where you did a video. <laughs> the other thing was that I think these people that create the top 25 list of something for a living, they have to do one every 10 minutes uh, for everything, otherwise they get kicked out of their job. Oh yeah, like top ten corgis top, or yeah, top ten uh, snooker balls, um, and there's only eight of them. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, <laughs> uh, yellow, green, red, um, the other red, and uh, did I did I say black? Right, uh, there we go. Wow, fantastic! Right, quick, next top ten list is top ten uh, things I've got on my desk. Right, they've got like ten seconds to do the list, whereas you, I mean, you you spent a proper while on it thinking about it as well. Yes, that's true. That's true because I I did used to write uh, listicles. Uh, for money way back when and most of them were actually about uh, volcanoes of the solar system or just things about space that are interesting but it takes up so much time trying to find one a list that hasn't been done before and two populating the list with interesting things because for example you can think oh top 10 most uh, secretive countries just off the top of my head so you go like okay well north korea is that's a secretive country the leader of turkmenistan he's a bit weird and there's some like oppression of press that's a secretive country and you come up with like four and then oh but i've said 10 i need to think of six others and then that when you start going oh no I, I need to really start scraping the barrel here so I have some sympathy for the people who whack together this list because it does sound like a good idea of mm. hey let's rank all the moons in the solar system and then they've consulted astronomers being like this is a fruitless endeavour Yeah, most of them are identical <laughs> yeah these are all just dots on a graphical photo or image somewhere, just pick a higher eccentricity or something, I don't know. I'm looking at the the images for Dyer, and yeah, it's just a dot amongst the stars. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so back to the moon, Dyer. It's named after the daughter of Dionysus, Dionysus, who was a lover of Zeus, so falls into the, has to be lover or descendant of either Zeus or Jupiter, and end in an A or an E, because it's an irregular moon, uh, meaning it orbits at a distance, in this case 12 million kilometres, orbit at an angle, 28 degrees to Jupiter's equator, and orbits in an oval shape, and this time with an eccentricity of 0.2, so that's fairly overly. Um, it takes 287 days to complete an orbit around Jupiter, so just three quarters of a year, and Dyer is quite small. It's only four kilometres across. Uh, but what is interesting is the fact that it was lost and then found several years later. And it was thought that Dyer crashed into the biggest member of its orbital group, the Himalaya group, to create a faint ring around Jupiter because there's images of like a streak going across uh, the sky and they thought, oh, that's the remnants of this moon that smacked into Himalaya. But no, they managed to recover it several years later. So Dyer came back from the dead, which makes it more interesting than just your bog standard moon. Okay, uh, who was it discovered by? Ah, it's notorious moon spotter Scott S. Shepard. Yes, yes. uh, this is part of his deep sky survey of Jupiter from early 2000s, where they discovered loads of moons. Um, So this was one of the moons that was discovered then. What are you going to call Dyer? Because you usually give the moons a nickname. What are you going to call this one? Not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> Dyer, the not as bad as, it, bad as it sounds moon. Okay. And and more interesting. 
than it's made out in popular culture. This is turning into like those song titles from emo bands back in the mid 2000s because uh, bands like Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco had huge song names like there's a reason these tables are numbered honey you just haven't thought about it yet lying is the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off uh i got with a member of fallout boy and all i got was this lousy song there's all of these like essays of song titles <laughs> i remember having to copy cds for friends and i i had my printer privileges revoked from my dad because i printed off too much stuff so i had to write out these stupid song titles by hand and i remember going like oh god they're so long and then i was looking at other cds that i was going to copy like a slipknot one and their songs are just nice and simple they're like called sick Eyeless, <laughs> Iowa, brilliant. That's what a song title should be, not these mini essays or jokes. Yeah, I, I'd love to join you in the uh, observational humour of copying indie titles, but I was never that cool. <laughs> I was hardly cool, I was just hopelessly lovesick, and I thought, I know, if I copy CDs for these girls, they'll probably like me. And did they? No. <laughs> <laughs> probably just came across as desperate and pathetic yeah. as do most teenage boys who are infatuated with slightly gothic girls yeah uh, it's before my time as well copying cds we dreamt of cds in my school years we had cassettes i thought you were going to say wax cylinders <laughs> not that bad no but uh, i had to cultivate my own beehive yeah. and then i had to make sure it was the right kind of wax that's it sharpen a needle or whatever you do yeah but also, I wouldn't have copied songs, because I, I like me songs, they're all right, but it was more computer games. But you try and find me a uh, girl in the 90s who was interested in a, in a cassette copy of Chucky Egg, you know. <laughs> I did wander around the nightclubs going, you know, hey, hello darling, do you, do you want Chucky Egg cassette? No, not, not interested. <laughs> no. How about, how about Asteroids? I've got yeah. a bootleg version of Asteroids. That's it, yeah. Daredevil, De <laughs> Daredevil Dennis, Ghouls. Mr. E, Breakout, Space Invaders. Um, so that was Dyer and a trip down memory lane. And so we're going to end the show on some Prime Moonisters questions. And I've had quite a, a nice batch of them recently. Uh, some from Christopher Hoy. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correct, Christopher, on Twitter. And some from Callum Shortstack on Twitter as well. Now, they've asked a series of questions and I'm doing a bit of a cop out here. And I've taken the easiest ones to answer just because I haven't done the research needed to answer the other questions properly. So I will hopefully do that next episode. So first question comes from from Callum and it's to both of us and it is if you could send a rover or manned mission to any moon in our solar system which would you choose and they want an answer from both you and I so do you want to go first or shall I go first I, I can go first well if NASA said I could send a rover to any moon I'd say well that's a moon question I'm going to ask Andy uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and then he said no no you have to answer yourself to some extent, I don't really care because if a, a moon rover is on a moon, it doesn't affect my life. So what I would probably do is say, well, you've sent them to the moon. That's fine. Go to the furthest moon away. Give, give that a go. So that's Dysonomia. That's the one that orbits Eris. Well, which is the one that the Van Allen belt? No, what's the belt? Hi the Kuiper belt. Kuiper belt. Yeah, them Kuiper belt moons. They're even further out. Uh, yeah, that's... That's a moon. Do we know there's an exomoon, sorry, yet? I thought we did. Yes. Yeah, se yes. send a rover to that one and then stop asking, <laughs> stop asking me to pick moons. They'll soon learn. 
<laughs> okay, so Rick has gone for the needlessly complicated to get to moon. Well, that's good. I mean, if they can get a rover there, it's sort of flipping it. You know, we've we've gone out of our solar system and, <laughs> and and we're exploring space. So yeah, beat that one, Andy. Okay. Well, there's also manned mission, but I, I'm actually going to go for rover for this, just because I think it would be far more interesting with uh, a hypothetical indestructible rover. And I've got two candidates. One is to send the rover to the volcano moon of Io because I think it would be absolutely fascinating having a rover trundling along the surface, watching these colossal volcanoes spew out lava and, and hopefully being able to trundle all the way up to the actual craters to look into some of the, the lava pits and learn more about the surface of Io. I think that would be an absolutely incredible mission. And the other one is the complete polar opposite and sending it to the ice world of Miranda, which is an ice moon that orbits Uranus. And the reason why I want to send it there is because its surface is covered in um, these weird valleys and cliffs. In fact, Miranda has the biggest cliff in the solar system called Verona Rupus, and I think it's 26 kilometers down. It'll take you like 10 minutes to fall off it. And it also has these incredible groovy kind of like waves, ice waves on the surface. They're called Corona because if you look at them from a plan, uh, from a bird's eye view, they're like circular. So I think sending a rover there would be absolutely incredible. And the reason why I'm sending rovers to these moons instead of human missions is because a rover can do more. A rover can go into places that humans can't. So that's why I'd send it to those two. I think those would be some fascinating missions. Is Io the one that's also got potential life on it? No, nothing can exist there. No. Uh, Europa, Europa uh, yeah. is, what, is what you're thinking of. Oh, and maybe Enceladus. Enceladus has cryovolcanoes, which is indicative of volcanic activity beneath the surface, beneath its icy surface. I, I think a more sensible answer would be go and look for life. Either that or go and send a rover full of tardigrades. No. To, just to spoil <laughs> the, the, the looking for life. Sod it. Not only send tardigrades, just... Just send up a big bag of germs. Germs and a lion and kill a whale. <laughs> Did you find any tardigrades? No, but we found <laughs> we found Mushu the whale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so that is one Prime Minister's question down. And the other question comes from Christopher Hoy. And he asks, what happens if we run out of moon names that can be associated with planet names? And that is a very good question. Because it's estimated there might be 600 moons around Jupiter. And there's only so many moons that can be named in the letters A and E that are accepted by the IAU. I would like to point out that the names are quite often tenuous at best. For example, there's a moon of Uranus called Cupid. And the reason it's called Cupid is because it has to be named from characters from either a poem by Alexander Pope or Shakespearean characters. And I was like, I don't remember Cupid being in any play. Cupid is not a named character in one of the plays, it's just a statue of Cupid. And even then, it's just a stage direction of character looks at statue that resembles a god of love or something like that. <laughs> so so that is tenuous at best. So for Jupiter, the names that end in the letters A and E, then they'll just move to another one that's like S. 
but that's not answering the questions. You want to know what happens if we run out of moon names that could be associated with planets, and I honestly don't know. So the IAU would have to reconvene, or the, the working group for planetary nomenclature would have to find a new theme. They would come up with a new theme. So for Neptune, they're all named after aquatic gods, and these can be gods, deities, nymphs, or just mortals who happen to be consorts of uh, ocean gods. There's loads of them, so they're probably not going to run out of there. But for Jupiter, there's a real chance that they will run out of lovers or descendants of either Zeus or Jupiter. So I reckon they'll either go down the family tree or they will add more criteria or more exceptions to the criteria being like, okay, they can now end in an S, for example, or they can now end in a Y and other things like that. And then if they run out of all of the Greek gods then I think they will probably go to other religions and they will go, okay, so we've run out of Greek and Roman gods for the lovers or descendants of the god of gods. So they might then keep things within Greek mythology because that is the theme for, um, for Jupiter, but just expand it. Whereas for Saturn, that is quite a nice big broad group they're all named after giants from different mythologies mostly greece but then there's norse mythology there's inuit mythology and then there is gallic mythology and they're just giants within those and even then those are really tenuous tarvos is the gallic moon and that's named after a giant bull even though it's not giant it's not like the size of a skyscraper it's just a big bull that happened to be mentioned so i hope that's not too much of a cop-out answer but i think they will just keep expanding the goalposts for what is accepted. And what I would like to see, though, is that they include more religions, more um, mythos, because there's very few Indian names for moons, and I'd like to see some moons from Indian mythology and from Hindu religions. Uh, they've named some moons after Hawaiian gods for the Hawaiian moon of Haumea, but it'd be good to see some other mythologies represented as well. As we expand to different solar systems, which inevitably we will, uh, you're going to run out of all the gods. So do you reckon they'll go to yeah characters in popular culture books, such as, uh, you know, Shakespeare, but also Dickens and then... Yeah, this, this happens already on Titan. Lord of the Rings. On Titan, you get mountain ranges named after mountains from Lord of the Rings. There's a this extinct volcano on Titan called Doom Mons after Mount Doom. Oh, they'll expand it, I reckon, to the Summerillion, because that's an other world, an other system. So if they do start naming things after different solar systems, then yeah, I reckon Lord of the Rings will probably be, will enter the equation and other uh, works of fiction as well. Maybe even Harry Potter will yeah. step in. I was thinking, are you going to have moons called, yeah, Severus Snape or uh, Luna Lovegood? The other thing is like, so if you, if you take it out of Star Wars, are we genuinely going to have a moon called Tatooine? Like we're going to start yeah. naming planets after f actual fictional places because they are legitimately a moon that would be quite cool that uh, that would be a good place to start as in gods in fiction planets and moons in fiction so i can see that happening do you think they'd create a block and say no no you can't name a moon after a fictional moon that's banned i think that is in place at the moment they'll do references to it yeah on the martian moons there's craters on them called like swift and voltaire i think those are on the martian moon of demos and the reason those are named after authors is because in gulliver's travels or the author of gulliver's travels wrote a book that featured two moons of Mars before the Martian moons were discovered. So as a tribute to, oh, you got it correct, they named some craters on the moon after Swift and Voltaire, was one, who were the authors that wrote this. Cool. Is it Voltaire? 
Yeah, probably. Right. Oh, okay, cool. It's one of those things where you just read yeah, it yeah. and then yeah. no one corrects you because you don't say it out loud. So I probably, yeah, Voltaire, my bad. That's why I never pronounce any Game of Thrones characters because, uh, or don't do it first because I've read the books but never seen an episode on TV. Oh, wow. That must have been hard to avoid spoilers. Not really because I've not got many friends who uh, <laughs> I speak to about it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was just drinking some water there. <laughs> right. Sorry for that deviation, but hopefully that has answered the question of if we run out of names based on the current themes, they will expand the goalposts to include other names, like in the case of Jupiter, uh, gods end in other names like S, or hopefully include other religions or mythos in in the naming pool. So those are some Prime Minister's questions answered. If you have any more or any burning questions, please tweet me at I'm a lunatic or email the show at I'm a lunatic at gmail.com. I do have some other questions that I will answer in other shows, but I just need to do some research on them first. So thank you very much for listening. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Rick. <laughs> Bye-bye. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! If it doesn't listen good, then delete it off the podcast. Okay. And listen good is a, a, a legitimate phrase.